And in fact, of, of the three, nutrition was the one I knew the least about. First, I started reading, thinking like, oh, it's kind of an interesting thing, nutrition and brain development. I'll give them eggs or something at the right time if they're not allergic. But as I started reading it, and I, I read it in great depth for several years, I realized the science was really serious and very specific and very clear, <laughs> worrisomely clear that specific regions required specific nutrients at just the right time while they were developing. I think the important thing to remember is that Cerebelli is different from other food products in that it is based on Teresa's scientific discovery. Teresa discovered that there was all this information about how those 16 nutrients affect brain growth in children or help support brain growth in children. Cerebelli is how we productize that science. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands that are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Dr. Teresa Persner and Nick Langan, co-founders of Cerebelli Science-Backed Baby Food. Dr. Persner joins us from Ontario, Canada, and Nick joins us from New York City. Welcome, Teresa and Nick. It's a pleasure to have you both on our show. Hi, Vidya. Thanks so much for having us. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. It's great to meet you, Vidya, and thanks again for having us. The early years of an infant's health is important on various fronts, especially for them to grow and thrive mentally and physically. Some of the factors that NIH states is the first three years are crucial. Why is that? What is so important in those early months of postpartum? Yeah, especially with the brain in particular, it's just such a critical and unique moment in brain development. So as you probably know, most of your body continues to grow your entire life. And so if you break an arm, the bones will heal. If you get a cut, the skin will heal. The brain is very different. The entirety of the brain growth really happens in those first three to five years, at least about 80 to 90% of your entire brain growth happens in that those very first period of your life. Um, and during that period, specific regions grow during specific times. And once you've left that region of opportunity, you can't go back and grow it again. And that's why while you can heal your body, when you have a stroke or something, that part of the brain doesn't come back again. The first three years, I like to think of it as the Olympics of your brain development. It's really the time when you're setting the foundation upon which you will build the rest of your behavior, thoughtfulness, memory, everything is built on what you've created in those first three to five years. And when we think of the brain, it's not one homogenous organ. It's various parts and different parts are of course responsible for different activities and their development also changes and how much they grow over the next 18 or 36 months post birth also changes so what are some of the parts you're absolutely right and i like to say that every parent is actually a developmental neurobiologist You've seen your kids grow, right? They don't learn to smile and talk and walk and, and throw a ball all at the same time. There's one window in their life when they start to learn to sit and roll over, another very different window where they start to use words. And those behaviors are simply a reflection of the part of the brain growing that's responsible for that behavior. And so it shouldn't be so surprising that some of the language areas of your brain start to really fire up around the age of one when the child's starting to say their first words. In contrast, let's say the part of your brain that's important for vision, especially basic vision, so color, lines, boundaries, things like that, 
that happens very early on, so you know, three to six months. And again, that's when you might see your child just staring at a window and out a window and at the blinds. And what they're actually looking at is the lines that are made by the light. So they can see light and dark and they're seeing these lines. What this child's starting to realize for the very first time is that the world is surrounded by lines and lines can form objects. And they're in fact an object in a world of objects. All that kind of fascinating things are happening, you know, at at very specific parts in in your child's life. And most parents actually know when those times are. (laughs) Teresa mentioned to me one time is that the different areas of the brain are made up of completely different proteins. And so one area of the brain is as different from another area as your liver may be from your lung. It's not just one big brain. There are a whole bunch of very different groups that make up the brain. When my kids were infants, I was militant about breastfeeding. And there were these articles which appeared in many prominent newspapers, which talked about proteins, which scientists are still discovering in a mother's milk, which actually help the child's brain development. And breast milk is such a precious resource that, you know, if a mother's able to, and she's able to breastfeed for as long as she can, I mean, it's such a gift to her child, for sure. Breast milk is something I focused a lot on as well. I'm a working mom, of course. So (laughs) we we transitioned to breast and food fairly early on, just because I I didn't have the, the capacity to be exclusively breastfed for that whole first year. But it is, and beyond just the content of the milk itself, there's the psychological impact of the bonding of being with a child. Even things like the gut microbiome as you're feeding from the mother will probably be impacted by both the act of breastfeeding and the breast milk itself. There's so many unique parts about the breast milk. One thing that I do say is uh, if you are exclusively breastfeeding your child, your breast milk does change with time. And so the milk that comes out at one month is different from what you're getting at 12 months or so. And there are certain nutrients that that I like to remind moms to be uh, attentive of. So things like zinc and iron, vitamin D, B12, vitamin E. These are sort of a set of nutrients that beyond six months, they start to come down quite a bit. Breast milk, it is a a wonderful gift and there's nothing better. It is conscientious that as you introduce solids to sort of accommodate the natural changes that, that occur in the composition of milk as well. You really can have the best of both worlds if you're thoughtful about it. And you're probably the best person to ask, when should a parent start introducing solids? You are a neurosurgeon, you're <laughs> practicing neurosurgeon, and you have to take time off from work to come on our show. So when is a good time to introduce solids? So this might surprise you, but I will actually say that I am not necessarily the best authority to say specifically when you should start solids. I think a lot of pediatricians are better positioned to me in terms of the, the way that you feed your child. I'm certainly very focused on what's in that food and how that food gets into your, but how that food gets into your kid. I think there's just a lot of philosophies out there. There's a lot of science, a lot of recommendations. Most people say around four to six months, the AAP seems to switch year to year, whether it's four or six months. A lot of different techniques, things like baby led weaning versus introduction of pureed. My experience with it all, and I would call this my maternal experience and rather than my professional experience, is really um, kids are quite unique and moms are quite unique. And what works very well for one child might not work as well for another. So my specific approach was more taking the spirit of each sort of philosophy. I, I like the idea of baby led weaning, the baby telling you what type of food and how much they can take. But some of my kids were much more amenable and much more happy if I was giving them purees in a spoon. And so for that child, I would take that approach. And and ultimately what I did is I responded to the child's reaction, but the whole time being very attentive that they were getting the nutritional needs that they required. And how they got it was a combination of what I felt was right and what the child was willing to accept as being right. (laughs) 
children can be quite discerning even at three months they would like just my daughter would just spit <laughs> things out when she didn't like it <laughs> yeah there's the science and then there's the art <laughs> so nick and you are brother and sister tell us about your product how did you think about it part mom part doctor and where does nick fit in it I'll start it off and I might hand it over to you, Nick, for, for the second part of it. But as you know, I'm a neurosurgeon. My focus really was just clinical neurosurgery. And to make a very long story short, a couple of experiences on the pediatric neurosurgical ward as a trainee motivated me to study in great depth the biology of pediatric brain tumors because I thought it was just such a horrific disease and there was more we could do for it. And that passion really drove me to study early brain development. So pediatric brain tumors are, are interesting. They're not like adult brain tumors that happen for a lot of reasons. A pediatric brain tumor often occurs because a part of the brain grows as it should and it doesn't stop when it should. It just keeps growing and then you get a brain tumor. And so it's heavily based in developmental neurobiology. And that's the reason I left clinical practice for about seven years and went down to Stanford to study developmental neurobiology in particular. And as I was doing it, and it went quite well, we were able to find a new target for the most common pediatric brain tumor and, and take that to trial. But while I was doing it, I had my kids. <laughs> and suddenly when I had my kids, my focus kind of shifted from brain development in the context of disease to brain development in the context of a normal developing child. And what can I do to best support my child in those critical first years? And really it came down to three things. One is genetics, which is the parents <laughs> and meiosis. And then the second is the environment. So the, the interactions you have with the child, the books, the, the colors, the toys. And then the third was nutrition. And in fact, of, of the three, nutrition was the one I knew the least about. First, I started reading, thinking like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing, nutrition and brain development. I'll give them eggs or something at the right time. They're not allergic. But as I started reading it, and I, I read it in great depth for several years, I realized the science was really serious and very specific and very clear, <laughs> worrisomely clear that specific regions required specific nutrients at just the right time while they were developing. And so in a bit of a panic, actually, because my child was now you know, approaching that, that age of eating, I started to develop a meal plan for him that ensured he was getting the right nutrients at, at the right time. My first plan was just to go to the grocery store and get shelf-stable baby food that had the right nutrients. <laughs> But unfortunately, when I went there, I flipped over every single baby food pouch that was there. And of the 16 nutrients I was looking for, I just couldn't find them. I could find just a couple. And they were the few that I was going to get anyway from carrots or sweet potatoes. And, and so that's how I started making my own kids' food. That's sort of where the story would have ended if it hadn't been for Nick. So Nick had his babies at the same time. And Nick, you can kind of take it from here as to how you made my kid's meal plan into Cerebelli. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think Teresa came to me and mentioned, hey, there are these 16 nutrients that are so critical to supporting brain growth in children. And I'm doing all this work to create foods on my own. I'm cooking. I'm trying to find all these exotic ingredients and make them into baby food so that my kids can benefit from this. But it would be so much easier if I could just go to the store and purchase foods that had these nutrients. But she said, I did go. And unfortunately, out of 100 pouches that I flipped over, you could not find more than three or four of 16 nutrients. And the important thing there was that it wasn't three or four in any given pouch. It was that 12 or 13 of these 16 nutrients are completely absent from any store-bought food. And that's true today, other than Cerebelli. And that was so striking to me because it was something that I was hoping that my kids could benefit from. And this was, the science was so important that I said, Trita, me and you can now solve this for our kids. We have the science behind it. We can go out and create foods and make foods and spend the time to ensure that our kids get healthy foods. But what about all those other kids out there? 
we have to do something to enable the rest of the kids in the world to benefit from this science. You know, with a background in understanding building businesses, I have a finance background and have seen many companies develop from early stage through late stage. I said, Teresa, if you want to make this a business, you figure out the science, you figure out the product, I can figure out the business side and we can create a product that's going to help all these kids. And so that's, it's been a great working relationship and that's kind of how Cerebelli came to be. So what are these key uh, nutrients? If you had to pick like three, which were completely absent, you know, and you think, Teresa, that it is really crucial, pick the top three. I never thought about the top three. I'll throw out three that come to mind. And so there are three that are not only crucial, but completely absent in shelf-stable baby food, absent in any meaningful amount in most store-bought baby food, but also importantly, something that kids are normally deficient in in North America and that breastfeeding moms are often deficient in in North America during these critical stages. And so one of them would be choline. Choline is a fascinating nutrient. It's one that for some reason we let slide, even though its involvement in the brain is very clear and it's involved in many different levels. It's the basis of something called acetylcholine, which is one of the basic neurotransmitters, but it also is involved in myelin, so the lining of brain cells, and it's important even in the expression of specific genes that are important in brain development. And for some reason, not only is choline deficient in about 90% of North American breastfeeding moms, but it's also usually absent in multivitamins. <laughs> That's astonishing to me. So choline's a good one. Selenium would be another one that, that people are often deficient in. And then uh, vitamin D. So that's getting better. I think more moms, iron and vitamin D are sort of ones that people are more aware of. Anemia are things that, that doctors are now looking for in children. We're screening because it's so common to be not just deficient in iron, but so deficient that you have outcomes in your body's blood. That's pretty deficient. I would say those are, I guess I gave you four. <laughs> those are four that I would really think about in my kid. So what causes rickets? It is vitamin D. So actually, I remember having this argument with my pediatrician because I was breastfeeding and I was insisting that I should supplement it with vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And at that stage in the 90s, he really didn't believe in that. He was a great doctor. And when I was insistent, he's like, okay, I don't want to be responsible for your kids having bow legs. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and you were ahead of the curve because vitamin D. So this is interesting. When I had my first kid, my good friend was a neurologist. And this was before I had started really reading about nutrition. And the one piece of advice he gave me is supplement with vitamin D. So because not only are we commonly deficient, but because we're very sunscreen, we're very pro which I, is 100% true, you should be pro sunscreen and what type and it's natural, not as your decision, but skin cancer is real and terrible. But because we wear sunscreen so much, we're even more deficient in vitamin D than our parents' children, so than, than we were babies. You are ahead of the curve, and now it's a recommendation to, to always supplement the vitamin D in those early months. Good for you. <laughs> you probably know. bought your kid like a couple of IQ points with that decision. <laughs> you don't want to hear how I raised my kid. <laughs> I'm every doctor's nightmare. Oh, you know what though I am too. <laughs> but I did find another doctor who was like, mom knows best. And I quickly moved to that doctor. <laughs> So Nick, you said that you were in finance and you had worked with companies. What was your background? I've worked at a variety of hedge funds over the last 12 years or so. And one of the big parts of the job is to meet companies when they are in an early stage and really understand their potential and what they're doing in order to disrupt the industry that they're in. 
But I think what that provides and what you start to get a sense of are some of the commonalities into these businesses that eventually go on and become successful. And we can talk about those. But it allowed me, you know, what as we started Cerebelli and then created a real business is to really implement some of these best practices and avoid, I would say, some of the common pitfalls that affect young businesses. You can have a phenomenal idea, but you, ha- you do have to turn that into a business that's self-sustaining and that can grow. And so there are realities around that go beyond just the great idea. That being said, the great idea is the foundation of any good business. And without that, you're almost bound to fail. All the ideas try to solve something, but there should be a market for it. It should be feasible. You should have the finances. You should have the actual product, which made you think that, hey, uh, Teresa, we have to make this happen. I think what appealed most to me was just the natural reaction you got when you told someone about this idea. It was the natural reaction I had when Teresa told it to me. And it was the natural reaction of every single one of our friends and family when we mentioned that to them the science and how compelling it was and how deficient the foods that we generally rely upon are. The natural reaction is this is something that I can't believe doesn't already exist. This is shocking, the lack of nutrition that's in current foods. It's shocking that all the science is out there and no one's put it to use. Please make this product because we want our kids to benefit from it. That natural reaction from every single person we told made me really think not only is this a great idea for a business, but it's something that's going to make a lot of parents very happy. But weren't you nervous about working with your sister? You could end up hating each other. <laughs> We've all heard the horror stories about businesses that start with family and the risks of doing that, because if the business goes bad, it, it can affect your personal relationship. And the people you want to least affect the relationship with is your family, because they're the people you're closest to and, frankly, people you can't avoid. <laughs> so you can't just say, oh, we're not friends anymore. You're going to see each other at the holidays. You're going to see each other all the time. What made me very confident, though, is that Teresa and I, A, we're always very close, but we have very different skill sets. And I think we both understood that early on. I understand how to run a business. I understand finances. And I understand how to make a business sustainable. Teresa is the scientist, and she's in charge of product development. So whereas I'll, I may have some suggestions about the direction the company should go with R&D from a business perspective, in the end, I rely entirely on Teresa's thoughts when it comes to how best to translate science into products, because that's what's at the basis of Cerebelli. It's translating science into a product that parent can use in a convenient way. And that's Teresa's specialty. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I was obviously nervous because everyone don't mix family and business. And so just that in the back of my mind, it was nervous, but it's actually been completely wonderful because I know that I'm not going to compromise my relationship with my brother. And I trust my brother. And I know what my brother is going to do not only what's best for the company, but he's not going to do something sneaky to me. And so I know, I know I can just trust him on that. And taking that variable out, taking out that concern that maybe there's a small chance that at the end of the day, this person's not going to do what, what makes sense. It really frees things up to just very logical, reasonable discourse. And so it actually took a lot of the emotion out instead of putting it in is what I found. And so it, it's been absolutely wonderful. Let's talk about the product. Most conscientious parents when they buy a product, they flip it over to look at the ingredients. Uh, first, if it is possible, it's within their means and reach, they try to buy organic for, you know, it's controversial. Some people say it's not worth it and some people say it's worth it. But the ingredients portion, regardless of whether it's organic or not, it's very important. Sometimes there are fillers 
what were the things that you saw in baby food which made you say oh my god this is not okay there was a few things the first thing that i saw was a whole lot of zeros <laughs> and so i look at the ingredient list sure but i also look at the nutritional panel and in fact what i look at first is the nutritional panel and then secondly the ingredient list because the ingredient list as you said can be very very misleading whereas the nutritional panel is highly regulated you can't hide that information is real and so what i found is a lot of things that a lot of packages that on the front had dark leafy greens or these beautiful vegetables and you would flip it around and there would be no iron how can you have spinach and no iron and you look at the ingredient list oh it's because it's actually pear and so i found a lot of alarming things like that i remember once i actually back calculated based on the iron content how much spinach was in the spinach product and it was 1 calorie of spinach yeah and you're not a nerd at all oh i'm a big nerd <laughs> i'm a big nerd when it comes to nutrition watch out <laughs> feel right right and there was a lot of there's other sort of misleading things and so um people think about omega 3s as being good for brain development right which they are but it's specifically DHA that that is helpful in early brain development whereas there's other omega 3s that that are not and people would advertise omega 3s but they wouldn't actually have the DHA in there there's a lot of things that that I didn't like but the thing that really stood out was the fact that what were the zeros there were zeros in everything except sugar <laughs> and so what you want is protein fat and nutrition and what i saw was sugar and almost nothing else sugar salt and and otherwise zeros um and so that's really what what pushed me to say okay we need we need to switch those zeros to 20s and 30s <laughs> nick what was your experience i'm assuming you don't come from a medical background or the science or nutrition background no it was your gut as a parent which told you like things were not okay so what did you see in the packaging which after your conversation possibly with Teresa made you realize that it was not doing everything that could potentially do for your kids for me it's similar to what Teresa said with regards to the lack of actual nutrition that was in the pouches but more importantly it was that until the conversation with Teresa about the lack of nutrition in store bought baby food i really thought i was doing the best thing for my kids i was going to the grocery store I was buying the pouches that were organic and had the spinach on it and had the broccoli on it. I was looking at the age ranges that they were providing and I really thought I was doing the best thing I possibly could for my kids. You have to only do the simple exercise which frankly I wasn't. I was reading the ingredients, but I wasn't looking at the nutritional panel and comparing it to what my kid really needed. And when you do that, as Teresa mentioned, all of a sudden you realize there's 0% of any meaningful nutrient in these pouches. And in essence what you're getting almost regardless of which pouch you're picking up is a pouch of applesauce and which kids love mhm which kids love and there will be the skeptic in me would say that great as a food company because the kid will always reach for that pouch and want more and want more and want more but there's also another reality which is that in order to be shelf stable a baby food actually needs to have a certain level of ph it has to be slightly acidic and that's if you're using the most common form of manufacturing which is called hot fill and what that means is exactly what it sounds like you take some ingredients you boil them you grind them up and you put them into the pouch while they're still hot and that creates sterility and that makes the food shelf stable it has nothing to do with preservatives or anything like that well, we've seen that marketing but it's not it's it's simply that the thing goes in hot that creates a sterile environment and that allows the food to be shelf stable The problem is that those foods have to be acidic. And in order to be acidic, by definition, fruit has to be the main ingredient. There's no other real way around that. 
And so the skeptic may say, well, fruit is just to keep the, the food sweet so that kids eat more. But the practical side, which is this, to, in order to make cost of very cheap baby foods, you have to use that method. And so fruit is the first ingredient. That's why we went and when Teresa came to me with this product uh, and said, Nick, this product has to be veggie first. Vegetables have to be the main ingredient in every single one of our pouches. We had to go out there and figure out how to do that. And what that involved was a specialized manufacturing process called retort. And that, it was a process that's a closed system that allows you to create that same shelf-stable environment, again, without any preservative, but also allows you to have a lower pH, whereby vegetables were the first ingredient. Once we realized that, that you could have a truly nutritious vegetable product, all organic, non-GMO, we said this is a no-brainer, pardon the pun. What was the process? What is it called? It's called Retort, R-E-T-O-R-T. And it's actually a process that NASA developed because astronauts have this exact same problem. They needed shelf-stable foods, and they couldn't go up there with a bunch of applesauce. And so they developed a process which enabled shelf stability while providing true vegetable-based or protein-based nutrients in order to make the food. And so it's a process that's not widely used. It's more expensive, but it was the right thing to do. So how did you find out about this process? It started off with what I needed to be willing to even do the project because I wasn't necessarily all in when you first brought it to my attention. I had a lot of other things that I was doing. So I thought, oh, you know, do, do I have the bandwidth to do cerebelli? And it wasn't until I saw some other parents back at the same Whole Foods that I had been looking at, looking at pouches. And I, I realized that no matter what they picked, it was going to be the wrong decision for their child. And it was going to have a major impact. Well, it was going to be an impact that they couldn't get back later on. Once I said, okay, well, we'll do this. We'll make this baby food. I had some non-negotiables. And one was that it had to be highly nutritious. And to do that, it had to be vegetables. There was no other options. And so once we agreed that it had to be vegetables, then it was a matter of, okay, given that, how would we figure this out? And speaking to a lot of different food scientists and what have you, Retort came to the front as the only way that we could do it at the time. And in fact, it was a huge barrier. So Retort manufacturers often work with big soup companies and what have you, and none of them were willing to let us use their Retort machine to make baby food. <laughs> and so actually a huge chunk of our first, you know, our seed round of funding went to buying our own Retort machine so that we could make the baby food because there was no other way around it. And so it really came from just this idea that the only way to do this properly is to do it with vegetables. And the way to do it with vegetables is a retort machine. So if no one's going to lend us theirs, we're going to buy our own. That's kind of how, how the whole thing went through. But it was, it was stressful. <laughs> What exactly does this machine do differently? So the major difference is that you can fill it first and then through a process, it can then be heated while having already been filled. And so for that reason, the pH doesn't have to be so low. What is the packaging made of? Because if it has to be heated, it has to also not have leach into it. That's another reason why people don't do it, is that the packaging for Retort has to be, it's a far more expensive packaging than you would normally use for just hot fill. Heavy metals and contaminants are something that's always been at the front of our mind. And so we actually test all of our products at the ingredient stage, but then also at the mix stage for heavy metals. And when we did that, we also test for hundreds of other contaminants as well, just to make sure there's nothing that's happening, whether it be the water at the farm or the soil at the farm or the vegetable itself or the way that we're, we're mixing things together no contaminant that we're aware of is, is present in the food. And so it's something we've been very conscientious. And that's actually how we ended up being the first shelf-stable baby food to get the clean label certification. It's a third party. And they actually just go and grab some of your baby foods just from a local grocery store. You don't get to give them the pouch. They just go to the grocery store. They pick out some pouches and they will independently test 
for hundreds of different contaminants. If you pass, there are very, very high standards that you get the award. And so we're actually the first shelf-stable baby food to get that award. What is the pouch made of? Is it just foil-based or...? It, it's multi-layered. Yeah, the pouch is a multi-layered pouch. And one of the nice byproducts of using the retort process is that it actually enables the pouch to be recyclable. So we've partnered with TerraCycle to ensure that every single one of our pouches is recyclable by parents. And we actually just achieved our 100,000th pouch recycled with TerraCycle. So that's something we're very proud of. And in the end, you know, as Teresa and I thought about Cerebelli, it was super important to ensure that we were supporting brain growth as best we could in kids. But it was also really important that we leave the planet in a better place than we came. So what exactly does TerraCycle Do, what role do they play? What ends up happening is that every parent who desires to recycle the pouches, we send them an envelope, which they can then keep their pouches in, and they simply ship that off to TerraCycle. TerraCycle then takes the pouches and through a proprietary process, which frankly, I don't know, is able to turn, uh, is able to recycle all of them. So they, the parents don't have to rinse it out or anything? They just No, we make it very convenient. You just ask us uh, for the envelope and it comes to your house. You fill it with your used pouches and send it right off. It's a very convenient process. So Teresa talked a little bit about omega-3 and DHA. And you said DHA is very, very crucial. So what is DHA? So DHA is found to have you know, several roles in early brain development. And, and honestly, there, there's different nutrients that can help with its absorption, this and that. But it's also something that is commonly, uh, that's very hard to come by in whole foods. And so it's very hard to come by. And, and for that reason, without supplementation, it's hard to get the sufficient amount that you want in a day. And when you talk about whole foods, you're not talking about the grocery chain, you're just talking about... No, no, I just mean, I mean like non-supplements, yeah. <laughs> Real food. <laughs> so it's found in fish, of course. You think of omega-3s and DHA in fish. There's a lot of eggs that, that have been, where the chickens have been given the type of feed so that their eggs end up having a good amount of omega-3s and DHA in particular. Um, but what's fascinating is that the reason that fish have DHA is because they eat algae and it's actually the algae that has the DHA. And so that's why fish are high in DHA. The problem with fish is that they can also be high in heavy metals. And so it's a little bit of a give and take, but the algae tends to be pretty safe. And so when we were thinking about how to put DHA in cerebelli, we actually went for the vegan source, which is the algae itself. And so it's all water extracted algae-based DHA. The, the other interesting thing is that for a lot of nutrients, you have recommended daily values. And so when you look on your nutritional panel, you have this amount you're supposed to get. So DHA doesn't have that. There isn't actually a specified amount. The WHO has put out a range around 200 uh, milligrams per day. Um, but there's some studies, some basic science studies showing a benefit to cognitive development up to 1,000 milligrams a day. So there's actually a benefit of having a whole gram <laughs> a day of DHA, which is hard to come by just by eating fish uh, and, and eating eggs. So. so explain what is cognitive development like? It's obvious for a parent when a child speaks or walks, those are very, very obvious milestones for a parent to follow. So what is cognitive development? Yeah, that's a great question. Because the truth is cognitive development, it is sort of a catch term rather than a specific term. But in general, when you think of cognitive development, you're thinking more of higher order function. So problem solving, memory, recall, um, complex logic and things like that. And so um, a lot of studies looking at nutrition and early brain development, not necessarily just DHA, but nutrition in, in general, um, they do follow specific things like language and math, but they also look at overall performance, so IQ scores, and even long-term employment. And so when you think of cognitive development, you think of you know your brain function in, in general, especially the high order functions, but there's so many different ways of measuring that. And I thought the employment studies were actually quite, quite fascinating. 
So what about taste? Nick, did you get a chance to taste Cerebelli food before you launched it? We sure did. Or, or did you make your kids the guinea pigs? <laughs> Unfortunately for our kids, they were the guinea pigs. And <laughs> it was something that Teresa and I put a lot of thought into, as well as the nutritionists we work with. We, Teresa was introduced to some amazing nutritionists out at Stanford who really helped create some of the blends that we eventually use uh, to produce Cerebelli. But the reality is this, as you mentioned, kids can be picky. You have to make the food taste good because it can be as nutritious as you want. But if the kids won't eat it, then you've already failed. As you said, our kids were the experimenters. We got batch after batch. And let me tell you, some of those combinations were not great. And so we were able to whittle it down to, to a bunch of food that tasted great, that kids loved. We then tried it on more and more kids and found, I would say, the, the best combinations to launch with. But we were also mindful of the fact that we didn't want the food to be just sweet. We wanted part of what Cerebelli was going to do was to help parents train their kids' palates. So we have some flavors that are much more savory than anything else you'll find on the shelf. And so there's a spectrum of flavors, spectrum of spices that we thought was really important to introduce to kids early. Because if you can introduce that spectrum early to kids, that's going to set them up for better eating for the rest of their life. And so we tried to balance all those things, make sure they were all delicious but not just give a bunch of candy, candy-flavored foods to kids. Really give them things that are going to set them up well in life. I think expanding the palate of the child is so important in this global world. They may have friends in their class, in their school from some other countries, or they may have to travel for work. Maybe starting at a very early age with things which are out of their comfort zone probably is a good thing. Patricia will be able to explain the science behind it better, but it's very clear that if you don't do this early on, it becomes meaningfully harder later. But I think as every parent can attest to, once a kid's a picky eater by a certain age, it becomes very difficult to change that. I certainly want to give a nod to Jackie Bertotto, who's an incredible nutritionist at Stanford who helped develop the entire Cerebelli line. So while I focused on the nutrition from the brain perspective, um, she certainly was responsible for just the general nutritional needs of a child growing up as well. It was important that we hit both of them because while I'm a neuroscientist, I'm certainly not a nutritionist by training. She really put a lot of thought into nutrition in general. And one of them was early exposure to the palate of different types of flavors. Nick and I both grew up in Toronto, which is one of the most multicultural cities in the world and have and enjoying different flavors. It's just been such a it's, a, it's a big part of my overall happiness and quality of life. So um, I'm glad to be able to provide that as well. <laughs> so when did you guys start this company? When we first really started the company was in mid 2017. And for the first three years, it was really just Teresa, myself, Jackie Bertoldo and a few others who really took the time to put the product together, to figure out all the different facets of the product so that we could go to a manufacturer and have it made. And then we really accelerated things in 2019. That's when we launched the company officially, September 2019. That's when we launched with Whole Foods and online. It was a long time between uh, the time we, Teresa first came to me with this idea and the time we were able to get a product to market. But uh, in the end, I think all the hard work was worth it. And your timing probably was good because with the pandemic, most parents were happy to have your food available, ready for them to use. Was it a blessing or a handicap launching right before pandemic? I think you're right that a lot of parents also became more thoughtful about nutrition as grocery stores were starting to become less reliable. But in terms of the company itself, the supply chain has never been more difficult, really. 
the ceremony members that are important, that are in charge of our supply chain are highly experienced. They've been in these types of things for 10 plus years. And the supply chain that's occurred in the last couple of years has just been so challenging. And so, well, I think from a customer acquisition perspective, it might have helped from actually the product development. You know, we grew up in a sort of like trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, you know, Vidya, I think when it comes to the pandemic, it was obviously a very difficult thing for parents. But from a company perspective, it was a bit of a mixed blessing in that it got parents, like Teresa said, focused on nutrition and made them understand why it was so important to have healthy foods because we started to see the benefits of vitamin D and things like that had in actually fighting COVID. And I'm not an expert in that, but it's certainly shown a spotlight on healthy foods and, and being generally healthy when it came to fighting sicknesses. The flip side of that is that one of the key principles that Teresa and I had when starting Cerebelli was accessibility. But to do that, we felt that you had to ha be truly omni-channel as a business. You had to be available in retail stores where people could go to the shelves and pick it up if they needed, but also direct to consumer where if they wanted a service that they could subscribe to and, and get food bi-weekly or once a month, depending on their child's eating schedule, they could do that. Well, once the pandemic came around, that became very important because for a while, people were very worried about going into grocery stores. And so they had the opportunity to get the food online in a seamless way. And then once the world started opening up, the reality is retail is still just the most convenient way for many, many parents. And so once the world started opening up again, they were able to go in there and get the food. So I think having this philosophy of making sure that every parent had convenient access to Cerebelli really helped people purchase it or get access to it all through the pandemic. And that brings to my next question. You said it's accessible. So how much do your pouches cost and how do they compare with your peers or competitors? Our pouches cost somewhere around $259 to $279, depending on how many you purchase at a time. And I would say when it comes to the competitors, that's within striking distance of most organic uh, non-GMO baby foods. So if you went to Whole Foods, that's within, I would say, the normal range of the foods you would see there. And then below that, there are quite a few foods at around the $2 price point. So a slight premium to the other, I would say, the mass market organic uh, pouches and fairly in line with pouches like ours. So Cerebelli products are available once the kids start their solids, depending on the philosophy the parents decide to follow, four months, six months, and they can get for each month based on the development. Are they like targeted based on the child's different stages and milestones that are important? Or is it the same food six to 12 months? Yeah, it really depends on, on how you buy it. So the nice thing about ordering it online just directly from the site is that it is month by month and it is based on your child's milestones as well. So you get this very personalized, specific set of recommendations based on your child. In the store, we, we sell them in multi-packs that are in you know around three-month periods so that it's largely age-based. But what I will say is it can be hard it's because especially if your child doesn't like one of the pouches, the taste of one of the pouches that's specific for their age and rejects it, it's hard to force them to eat it, right? They're, they're, they're just not going to. And so the way we kind of evolved with time was the idea, okay, there's these 16 nutrients that are needed overall. Let's make sure that those we get those 16 nutrients in some good amount in, in all of the pouches. And so while there are pouches that are ideal for your child, given their age, any pouch is still pretty good. And where did you guys get funding? Are you self-funded? Yeah, we've had a variety of sources. Our two biggest supporters have been Newton Capital and Imaginary Ventures, two venture funds that have supported us in every round of fundraising we've done. And in addition to that, we have a quite 
a long list of passionate friends and family investors who continue to support the company. So we have a, a nice mix of venture money and passionate individual or couple supporters uh, helping us out. What about the parents who are absolute purists and think that your food is equivalent to any processed baby foods? How is it different? First of all, I think that the concept behind Cerebelli, which is getting the right nutrients at the right time, if a parent is someone who wants to make all their baby food from scratch, I support that. If, if you're able to do that and you have the bandwidth to do that, I support that. And on our company's site, we'll give you recommendations on what ingredients you should be using um, for your child. I think it's a lovely thing. It's not something that I have the ability to do. And there's a lot of things that are very challenging to do. Um, there's a lot of nutrients that are just very hard to get, like DHA <laughs> um, and choline, actually, as a matter of fact, especially from non-meat sources. Um, but I'll do my best to help those parents. One thing that's different about Cerebelli, beyond the fact that we have these 16 nutrients compared to the two or three other people have, is that every step has been very, very thoughtful. And so heavy metals is something that we've all known for a long time is in unacceptably high amounts of baby foods. And in fact, the great deal of them, you know, the majority of baby foods, heavy metals are not good for brain development. And so from the very beginning, we had this idea that our baby food could not be high in heavy metals. And that's the reason why we started screening all of our food for heavy metals. And so I think beyond just the fact that it's, you know, it's non-GMO and organic and all the things that you expect, every facet of, of the product beyond just its nutritional content has been really thoughtfully sorted out. And every ingredient has been specifically selected for its nutritional density. Um, and then, of course, the veggie-first approach compared to other food companies, it really provides a very different offering than just the, the typical baby food pouch. And so I would say we're a very different product. It came from science, not from wanting to make a company that makes money, that's for sure. <laughs> I have no interest in that whatsoever. Luckily, Nick does. But <laughs> for, for me, it's just about getting the science to the people. But at the same time, if you want to make your own kids food, I want to help you do that properly as well. NVIDIA, I think to expand on that, all you have to do is a very simple experiment when it comes to Cerebelli versus other store-bought foods or online-bought foods. Like Teresa mentioned previously, you cannot lie on a nutritional panel. That is the factual nutritional content of that of food, whether it's a baby food or otherwise. I challenge any parent to go into a grocery store, flip over a pouch of Cerebelli, any pouch of Cerebelli, and flip over any pouch that's otherwise out there or compare it to any online provider of baby food who will also give you the nutritional information. Look at those two panels and you will immediately see the difference that all that thought makes when it comes to the final product. And so I think that's the big difference. The evidence is right there and it's very accessible. So how is this, what Teresa and you, Nick, are doing, different than just basic nutrition? How is it different? Can I just go to a nutritionist and consult with her or him and get and make my own products? Why is your product different? How is it different? You know, I think nutritional science is very important in terms of how we feed our children and how we feed ourselves. But the reality is nutritional science changes over time. It evolves and certain things come in and out of fashion. The difference between that and Cerebelli is that Cerebelli is based on hard-coded biology. It is based on biological facts that will not evolve over time. It will stay the same 100 years from now as it is today. And I think that's a big difference uh, when it comes to the product development. So, Nick, you seem like the disruptor, <laughs> the person who wants to disrupt in startup lingo. So where do you see the company in, say, three years? More products, more other products which help cognitive development. Where do you see yourself? 
Where do you see Cerebelli? Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. We want to disrupt how kids eat. We want to change the way every child eats. But Cerebelli, I think the important thing to remember is that Cerebelli is different from other food products in that it is based on Teresa's scientific discovery. Teresa discovered that there was all this information about how those 16 nutrients affect brain growth in children or help support brain growth in children. Cerebelli is how we productize that science, right? So the science came first, and then we've created a product to enable parents to have access, easy and convenient access to this very basic and important science. The good news is there's a lot of science out there, and none of it's being translated into food products. So as I look down the road, certainly the, uh, the focus right now is on cognitive development, but down the road, there's a lot of science not being used to help support our children that I think is very important. That will always be the basis of what Cerebelli does. Look at the science, look at the facts, and then create products that give parents access to it. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> and on that wonderful note, thank you so much, Teresa, Dr. Persner, and Nick for coming on Mindful Business. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're so excited that you were uh, excited by what we're doing. You're listening to Mindful Businesses hosted and produced by Vidya Ayer. We would love to hear from you. Send a voice note with your questions or comments to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcast. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Theme music was composed by Tatum Gale. Our marketing assistant is Caitlin Milligan. And our advisors are Jim Stone and Anupama Pashrija. This is Vedya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.